Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. This is Josh Wander from Yerushalayim. Ir HaKodesh, I'm here with my co-host, Rabbi Moshe Lippmann of Beit Shemesh. Hello, hello. Welcome back. I'm glad that you uh, you listened to my advice last week and you came back to join us. Wonderful. Israel Unplugged is where you get the unadulterated facts of where we're holding in the redemptive process, focusing primarily on the ingathering of the exiles. This is a live show. I know that there's a lot of people from around the world listening in. And we encourage you to call in and to speak to us about whatever is on your mind regarding Eretz Yisrael, Aliyah, and the redemptive process. If you are uh, stuck still in North America um, and you haven't already bought your plane ticket, maybe you're waiting in the airport. Uh, If you haven't bought your airplane ticket uh, to come here, because March 1st, they're supposed to be opening all restrictions to Eretz Yisrael. Everybody is welcome to come in. Uh, You should call the number 301-768-4841. 301-768-4841. If you are lucky enough to be here in the Holy Land in Eretz Yisrael, then you should call 02650-0151-02650-0151. I know we have listeners in from, that are listening in from the United States, from Israel, from Canada, from Australia, from Uganda, from the Russian Federation, from New Zealand, from South Africa. From all over the world, um, I'm not sure which number is more convenient for you to call in, whether it's the North American number or the Israeli number, but either way, we welcome you to call in and share with us what your thoughts are, whether it be positive, negative, or neutral. Uh, we both have websites that we would love for you to go visit. One of them is Rabbi Lichtman's website, which is toratzion.com. There you can find a list of all of his books that he has written and published, translated, and all the exciting projects he's involved with. My website is itstimetoleave.com, itstimetoleave.com. And over there you will find a list of hundreds of videos. Uh, You will find this show as well as other shows and recorded podcasts that we do on the topic of Eretz Yisrael and Aliyah. We look forward to an exciting show ahead of us, and uh, you should stay with us because we are going to be right back. did a nice Jewish girl from Delaware end up living in Israel? Shalom! I'm Natalie Sapinski. Join me on my show, Returning Home. Meet different people who have moved to Israel. Hear their personal stories, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. Each week, we talk to experts on immigration and the process of moving to Israel. Listen to Returning Home every Thursday, only on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. We are going to start off this show talking about what is on everyone's minds, uh, which is the imminent invasion of the Russian troops into the Ukraine. 
And we were talking a little bit offline about the idea of the Jews that are in these locations and how they see themselves. How do they identify uh, themselves? Do they identify as Ukrainians? Do they identify as Russians? Do they identify as Jews? Do they identify as Israelis? This is something which is gets to the root of possibly the the issues that Jews all over the exile, regardless of where they are, uh, or struggle with on a, on a regular basis of who are they, what are they, and whose allegiance should they have. Uh, going back a little bit in Ukrainian and in, in the history of the Ukraine, we know that they were not uh, so nice to the Jewish people. I say that's, of course, an understatement. Um, a short survey of the Jewish blood that was shed in the 20th century alone by the Ukrainians. I'm reading off a, a piece that we did with Rav Nachman Kahana last week. In February 1905, a pogrom took place, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher all of these uh, names, but Feodosia, on April 19th in the same year, a pogrom occurred in Melitopol, and in May in Zitomir. In Odessa, 300 Jews were murdered and thousands injured. Other serious pogroms occurred in Ekaterinoslav, Kiev, Sempervol, Romny, Kremchug, uh, Nikolev, uh, Chernigov, Kamenets, Podolsky, and Elisovtgrad. And in 620, 626 villages, in November 1917, the Imperial Russian Army initiated a Ukrainian pogrom in Uman. And in February 1919, 1,500 Jews were murdered in Proskurov. In Tetyev, on March 25th, 1919, Cossack troops murdered 4,000 Jews. During the Russian Civil War between 1918 and 1921, a total of 1,236 violent incidents against Jews occurred in 524 towns in the Ukraine. The estimates of the number of killed range between 30,000 and 60,000. Of the recorded 1,236 pogroms and excesses of 493 were carried out by the Ukrainian People's Republic soldiers under the command of Simon Petlura, and all of this and more are in addition to the notorious 1648 pogroms which, which the Cossacks carried out during the 1648 uprising of the Cossacks and the serfs led by Bogdan Kamilinevsky, and otherwise known as Hamil of Evil, as he was called by the Jews, against the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Massacre of the Jews of Poland, Belarus, and today's Ukraine occurred throughout the rebellion, which lasted for many years. Thousands were slaughtered or died of starvation and epidemics, and many others fled, sold into slavery, or converted. The number of Jews killed by the Cossack rebels in 1648 was estimated at a few thousands to 20,000. It is estimated that all the parties, the Cossacks, the Russians, the Swedes, their allies and the Poles themselves who massacred them killed between 40 and 50,000 Jews in total. So these were clearly not people that are um, on uh, or support the Jews. And on the other hand, there are Jews today that proudly identify as Ukrainian. It, it, it boggles my mind that somebody would proudly say, I'm a Ukrainian Jew. I'm uh, I'm from Galicia. I'm a Galicianer Jew. I'm a Hungarian Jew. I'm a Polish Jew. I'm a Russian Jew. All these things, like to me, th these are places that I just think of and I think of massacres and pogroms and the worst of the worst. And why would I want to identify myself, even if I had family that came from these places in the exile, why would I want to identify myself 
as being a Jew that is connected to these bloodthirsty nations. I'd much rather be called a Jew that's an Israeli, a Jew that's a, a Jew, uh, just a Jew, or, but, but not right. connecting myself to these places. What are your thoughts? Right. And, and, and even if for some crazy reason you have to live there or you find yourself there, at the first possible moment, you should run away. And, and we've spoken about this so many times that you don't wait till the point where you, you have to run with your tail between your legs. You, you get out of there as soon as possible and you don't wait till you're forced out because as we've mentioned many times, uh, God gives everybody the opportunity to come to Eretz Yishel. He calls them. He calls them deep down in their souls. He calls them to come back to to His land, to the only, the only land of the Jewish people. And um, when they don't listen, so He has to give them reminders every once in a while. And sometimes those reminders become very harsh, and uh, and He has to sort of force them out. And, and and that's why that's you know possibly what we're seeing now, and of course, American Jews and you know Jews of the Western world will say, yeah, of course, uh, Ukraine, yeah, hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed there over the years, but you know America, America is America, America is the, the land of the free, and what does that have to do with us? Well, we have to remember that there is no difference between Galut, one Galut and the other. Um, Galut, or or in English, the exile is exactly that. It is the exile. You can have an exile that's that's difficult, that's bitter. You can have an exile that tastes sweet, like chocolate covered. But there, it's all exile. Exile is exile. And at some point, God is going to liquidate the exile. And when He does that. It, it could be if Jews listen to his call and they pick up and come, great. But it could be that there's going to be a point at which they can't and they and they won't come. You know, we, we've spoken spoken about this before. Um, how uh, Jabotinsky? Uh, I actually just had this discussion with somebody today. Jabotinsky in the 1930s, 1920s, and 30s went around to many different places in Poland. In fact, I have a I have a piece that someone just sent me today. Uh, from, I guess, the Jabotinsky uh, Museum. It says, in the wake of Nazism's rise to power in Germany in 1933 and the rapid deterioration of the political situation in Europe, Jabotinsky understood that a supremely urgent action to evacuate the Jews of Europe must be undertaken. He prepared a 10-year plan for the emigration of one and a half million Jews to Eretz Israel, he embarked on a policy of alliances, which are which were agreements with Europe, European governments interested in Jewish emigration. They also wanted the Jews to leave to facilitate this evacuation. To facilitate this evacuation, he hoped that all this would apply pressure on Britain to increase the rate of immigration into Eretz Israel. During the late 1930s, Jabotinsky visited Romania, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia for this purpose. And we know our own producer, uh, Tamar, has told us that her father or grandfather uh, remembers 
Jabotinsky going around and, and saying this and Jews just did not listen. So when I had this discussion today with somebody, I said, you know what? It, it's very nice. Hindsight is twenty twenty. It's very nice now to say they were all stupid because they didn't listen to Jabotinsky. But let's face it, you know, it's very easy for us to say that. But at that time, okay, there was this crazy guy who said that he wanted to kill the Jews. But that's happened before in history and it's passed over. So, I, again, I, it's obvious they were wrong, but I can understand. But once that happened and such a short time ago, such a short time ago, historically speaking, 70 years ago, we have to now learn that lesson. No longer can we say hindsight is twenty twenty, and, you know, uh, you know, we didn't understand. We didn't see it coming. We can't say that anymore. You know, Jews throughout the world have to understand that, you know, at the same time that the land of Israel is being is being populated by more and more Jews. Well, the exile has to be emptied of its Jews. So there, there's two ways it can happen. We can willingly come and take our money with us. We could sell our houses at a nice price or we could be, be um, short sighted and wait till the last minute and then have to come empty handed if we're even lucky enough to come. I had, a, I had a, uh, I had a uh, colleague of mine from Baltimore who is now a rabbi in the yeshiva there that I met uh, last week. And, uh, and we're talking about moving to Israel. And he says to me, he says, yeah, soon the Goyim are all going to throw us out. The non-Jews are going to throw us out. And I, I just looked at him and I, in, 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 in surprise, I'm like, I, you have to wait for that to happen. I, I don't understand. You, you, like, if you understand that that's what's about to happen, why aren't you on the next plane here? This reminds me of the German Jews that were so proud to serve in the German army in, in World War One, And we know that that did not, did not help them just a few years later during World War Two. I always say that the worst gullus, the worst exile is the one that you don't realize that you're in. And unfortunately, like you described, Rabbi Lichtman, uh, as chocolate covered, a lot of the exiles today, we don't realize that we're in. And then we have the ones that we do, do realize we're in and we don't know what we're supposed to do uh, in order to get out of it. There there are some that have realized the, what they should do. And the, this past week, about 75 immigrants from the Ukraine landed in Israel on the verge of a looming shadow of the war in the region. Um, Israeli Aliyah minister said at the airport during when they got off the plane, our message to the Jews of the Ukraine is very clear. Israel will always be their home. Our gates are open to them as usual. And of course, in emergencies, we hope we hope and pray that on both sides, both the Ukrainian side and on the Russian side, that the Jews take this as a message that it's time to come home. It's time to leave the exile. And even if the, there you know, isn't a war and everything is, you know, calms down and goes back to normal, so to say, it's still time for the Jews to return home. This should be the message. They shouldn't need a war to prompt them. We'll be right back after the messages. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 
This is Shai Bentecohen. Each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany is but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel. Phantom Nation, every Monday. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. And uh, as we were talking about uh, the different attitudes that uh, diaspora Jews have about coming back to Eretz Israel and how unfortunately some Jews are very comfortable, uh, not that I'm God forbid that I have anything against Jews being comfortable. They should be very comfortable, but they should be comfortable in their own homeland. So it reminded me of a, a beautiful little article, a little piece in um, in a book called To Dwell in the Palace. I highly recommend it to everybody. Perspectives on Eretz Yisrael from a totally uh, Haredi, ultra-Orthodox perspective. I mean, it starts with an article by Rav Zev Lef. Um, am I correct? Give me a second. Yes, yeah, Rav Zev Lef, Zev Lef, exactly who, you know, quotes the Chazunish and Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zunnefeld just in the very beginning, how they, like, said, of course... And his Rabbi, Rabbi Gifter. Right, all, correct. Gifter all, right, right, right. All of them should come and make Aliyah. Anyway, <clears throat> so one of the articles is called A Dialogue with a Jewish Couple from the Diaspora. And it, it says that there was a, the, the Jewish agency or had uh, this program at some point where they would take tourists and uh, pair them up with a uh, with a, uh, a family in Israel to, to, for a short little visit to have a coffee together and just talk talk about things. And uh, this is a description of one such a visit, right? So they say how they started the the Israeli couple. Uh, started the, the conversation and said, where are you from? And the the woman, they call her Mrs. Katz, says, oh, we're from Toronto. Really? Asked my 11-year-old Batya. I thought Goyim lived there. So, you know, you know, children don't, don't, uh, don't have any filters. You know, they, they just say what's on their mind. So when this 11-year-old girl who was sitting there heard this, said, Toronto, isn't that a place where, where non-Jews live? Well, yes, said the woman, but there certainly are a great many Jews there too, dear. Tell me, I chimed in, to save the poor guests from trying to explain themselves to the little girls, what made you decide to live in Toronto? The two of them looked at each other, shrugged and giggled giggled a bit, as though we had asked why they have only two legs. I was born in Toronto, said said Mrs. Katz, Mr. Katz, sorry, and my wife is from Borough Park. Once she saw how beautiful Toronto was, I had no trouble convincing her to move away from her family and all the things in Brooklyn she thought she couldn't live without. His voice trailed off as he watched our faces. It seemed he was expecting us to say, oh, naturally, about the move of a Jew from Borough Park to Toronto. But we were not following his logic too well. Still, one must try to be nice to guests and sympathetic. Was it awfully hard, my wife asked Mrs. Katz as she poured her a cup of coffee. And then she answered, my parents took it fairly well. That helped for me. For me, it was a bit painful at first. You don't have the feeling of being at the hub of Jewish life that 
to have back home, which of course we're referring to Borough Park. Shulamit, 13 years old, was thoroughly perplexed. Back home? She had been a little girl when we left Brooklyn, but she remembered it well. Hub of Jewish life? There were certainly plenty of Italians around. No one spoke Hebrew. No one knew the Jewish date. She hadn't even been allowed to play outside by herself and had repeatedly been warned to stay away from strangers. That memory did not jibe with her idea of home or, a, or of Jewish life. Now Batya said, that's the other daughter, in guileless bafflement, if you were moving already, why didn't you move here? Again, kids are so great. They just <laughs> they just don't hold that, anything back. So Mr. and Mrs. Katz were not prepared for this question. In fact, they were acting peculiar. It almost seemed that they were planning to ask us why we had moved here. We were all having trouble figuring these two out. They had, requ they had requested a strictly Orthodox family to host them. They appeared to be religious Jews. They had made brachos before, I mean, blessings before the cake and the coffee. But it didn't seem that they had ever learned anything about the land of Israel. Mrs. Katz was beginning to pull herself together. She looked at our daughter with some disdain and addressed her as though she were mildly retarded. Sorry for saying that word, but that's what it, it says here. Toronto is very much like Israel, she said slowly. We have many shuls and yeshivos. We have kosher restaurants and Jewish bookstores and all kinds of Jewish facilities. Not everyone lives in Israel, dear. There are other places in the world where we can be good Jews, too. Yes, replied Batya, speaking at a similar pace. We are learning about places like that in our history class. There were some cities in Germany and Austria where there were some terrific Jews and great rabbis like Vermeiza. I think it's called worms in English, she giggled. There, said Mrs. Katz, you see, not all our great rabbis lived in Israel. But her husband did not look too comfortable. Actually, he said, Ours is an unusually vibrant community. There has been tremendous growth in recent years. The number of young people in full-time learning is increasing at a wonderful rate. Is that so, I volunteered, while I searched for another encouraging remark. Shalamis, their daughter, decided to help her sister recall her history lessons. In Spain, there were also some great Jews and a very full Jewish life. Remember all those Rishonim? Before the in Inquisition, right? Batya was, was remembering. And don't forget all the yeshivas in Lithuania, Poland, and Hungary, with all the great rabbis living there who live there. Shalamis was showing off because she had just studied recent European history. We didn't learn about that yet, con confessed Batya. What, was that before the Holocaust? Shalamis was about to elaborate, but my wife was dismayed at the turn the conversation had taken. The cats were looking a bit pale and had begun to fidget. Girls, she said, could you bring in the rest of the cake, please? To the guests, she said, have you any children? Mrs. Katz gratefully whipped out some photos. Here's a Rummy at our kosher pizza place, she boasted. And this is the whole family at the dedication of our new shul. Did you ever see, see anything so magnificent anywhere in the world? Batya looked carefully at the picture, a bit too carefully, I thought. Do you suppose that might be the third base Hamigda? She inquired ingeniously. Mrs. Katz frowned at her, then said something about that being in Yerushalayim after the Messiah comes. 
Her husband had put on his hat. Now he said, I'm sorry, but we have another appointment in a little while. Yes, agreed the lady quickly. I'm almost finished, everyone. <laughs> yeah, you'll see the punchline is great. Yes, agreed the lady quickly. This has been just wonderful. It's always so nice to visit Eretz Yisrael. And it's so impressive to meet a family like you who actually lives here. All of us listen carefully to their bracha achrona, their, their grace after meals. Surprisingly, the Katzis recited the same words as we do. They mentioned the land God had bequeathed to our fathers and then spe specified Jerusalem and Zion. They even asked to be brought up into the land and then to find joy in building it. After they left, Batya said, did you hear Toronto in their bracha? None of us had. Strange, awfully strange. <laughs> this book, for those of you who don't know, this book is filled with articles like that, and it really is inspirational. You should all get a copy of it. It's called uh, To Dwell in the Palace. To Dwell in the Palace, right. And, uh, by, published by, I think, Feldheim. Feldheim. It, it it it's I haven't read that in a long time, and I, I just recalled that that story. And I'm thinking to myself, this really sounds like uh, the conversation that goes around my table, my home, uh, almost every Shabbos. Uh, we have guests that come from around uh, around the world, mostly from North America, and uh, we are very uh, very. <clears throat> non-politically correct i'll put it that way when it comes to <laughs> explaining to them that jews do not belong in in wherever they come from borough park or muncie or toronto uh, but belong here in the land of israel and this is something that we have long conversations with them every shabbat and uh in fact i just we just had a bunch of girls that i had on a, a tour of mine and they said you know we were we were um at your house for a shabbat four years ago when we were in seminary and now we're we're teaching in lakewood so i just i just said to myself oh, i obviously i failed then <laughs> if, if you're back in lakewood then then obviously <laughs> you missed the you missed what i had to say or you you didn't listen to what i had to say but uh yeah. no we we hope that uh we hope and pray that our message we gets plant, out that is we the plant point. the seeds right we that that the... is that is the point and i speak when i speak to to these young single girls I tell them, you know, it's much easier to make Aliyah when you're young and single. That's what I did. Um, it's much easier when you don't have all these roots in, in Chutzars. You know, for your parents, your grandparents that have been living all their lives in one place and they they only speak one language and they only understand one culture. They have businesses over there. They have their spouses. They have their children. They have their relatives. It, it's really hard to cut all those ties and to leave. On the other hand, for someone who is young and single and has come here for a year in yeshiva or seminary, it is so easy to say, you know, it is time to break that and to move on and start anew and that your children will be speaking the holy language and they won't have any problems transitioning to a new culture because it'll be natural for them. This is where they grew up. This is where they live. And I think that that's what uh, we hope that uh, the Jews that are all over the world today, whether they be in the Ukraine and Russia, or whether they be in the United States and Canada. Uganda. Don't forget, or, we have a listener from Uganda. That's correct. <laughs> Wherever they happen to be, we encourage them to come home and come home quickly because we believe that the gates are closing. They will not be open forever. March 1st, again, it is said that all Jews will be able to come here. This is a perfect time to come on a pilot trip for years now. Jews were not able to come on Aliyah pilot trips to check out the new, the neighborhoods and where they're going to buy a house and where they're going to live and where they're going to work. This is your opportunity. Come now and make it happen. 
We'll be right back after the commercials. Hi, I'm Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound, the most essential, and yet often the most neglected in our education. Join me for Soul Talk on Israel's News Talk Radio and discover the secrets to love, spiritual growth, and personal power. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged, and uh, usually during this section we uh, start our conversation with uh, something from the parasha. So this parasha is Vayakel, and it talks about the building of the uh, Mishkan, it's repeated uh, you know, what we already learned a few parashiot ago, but um, it starts with the mitzvah of Shabbat, the commandment to keep the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is certainly one of the most important aspects, certainly one of the most important mitzvot in the entire Torah. In fact, the rabbis tell us about seven things, that they are equal to all the other mitzvot. They are so important that they're considered tantamount, equal to all the other mitzvot of the Torah. And one of those is the Sabbath. And and the rabbis tell us even uh, as follows, if you merit keeping the Sabbath, I will consider it as if you kept all the mitzvot of the Torah, but it works the other way also. And if you desecrate it, I will consider it as if you desecrated all the mitzvot. On that line, the Chafetz Chaim, the great Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan, uh, one of the greats of all time, who lived uh, in Russia, right? lived in Russia in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, this uh, 20th century, died in 1933. Uh, 1933, yeah. He uh, he asks the question, like, why should that be? Okay, we understand Shabbos is very important, but to the point that if you don't keep Shabbos, you don't keep, it's as if you didn't keep anything. So let's say I'm a good Jew and I, can, I do a lot of good things, but I just don't keep Shabbos. It's hard for me. So therefore, it's as if I did nothing. Why should that be? So the Chafetz Chaim explains it with a mashal, as he was, uh, or he often did, with a parable. He said, there was this guy and this girl who were going out, and finally the guy popped the question, gave her a beautiful diamond ring, and said, will you marry me? And she was so happy, and, you know, everything was great. But during the engagement, things turned sour, and the girl realized that, you know, it's not going to work. So she comes comes to the guy with the ring and she returns the ring to the guy. Now, what does that act symbolize? It doesn't only mean, you know, oh, I still love you. I still want to marry you. But I just, uh, you know, this ring is a little bit too small for me. I, you know, I'm showing it to people and they're like, that's all I gave you. That's not what it means. What it means is the engagement is off. The relationship is over. And that's, by the way, if she's a nice, if she's nice, she'll give back the ring. There are situations where where girls don't do that. But anyway, it, it's a symbol that 
I don't want to have a relationship with you anymore. So the Chafetz Chaim says the same thing is true about Shabbat. Because when a person rejects a gift or returns a gift, which is in effect rejecting it, that is a way of saying, I don't want our relationship. Because gifts are very personal things. They're things that really build the relationship between a man and a woman and, and, and even, you know, two, two people of the same sex. Uh, very close uh, friendship. If you give someone a gift, it shows that we're really close. But when you reject the gift, it, sh- it shows, well, I don't want this relationship. So Chavetz Chaim says the same thing is true about Shabbat. Shabbat the the uh, the Talmud tells us in Tractate Shabbat that God said to Moses, He said, "I have this great gift that I want to give to the Jewish people, and it's called Shabbat. It's called the Sabbath. Please go and tell them that I have this gift for them, and and and, and tell them I'm giving it to them." So we see from that that Gemara that Shabbat is a gift. So if a Jew doesn't keep Shabbat, it doesn't mean you know, oh, it's fine, everything's good. Me and you, God, we're 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 close, we're tight. It's just that this Shabbos thing is hard for me to do, but I really still love you and everything. It doesn't mean that at all. It means when you return something that was a gift. See, God didn't give us Shabbos in order to torture us. He gave it to us because He loves us so much, and He wants to show us that how much He loves us by giving this unbelievable gift. Just think what the world would be like if we didn't have a Shabbat, if we didn't have a day to rest. So. So if a Jew rejects the Shabbat, he's in effect saying, I don't want the entire relationship because I don't like this gift. I don't want this gift. I don't want gifts from you, God. No, thank you. And when you do that, you reject the entire relationship. So that's the Chafetz Chaim's idea. And then I took it one step further. And that is that we know that there's something else that is also another mitzvah of the seven that are equal to all the rest. And you know what mitzvah that is? That's the mitzvah of living in the land of Israel. Believe it or not, yeshivat, Eretz Yisrael, the the rabbis tell us, settling, dwelling in the land of Israel is equal to all the mitzvah of the Torah. And and you could ask the same question. Why should it be? Let's say someone is a very good Jew. He happens to live in Borough Park or Toronto or Australia or who knows where. But he loves God and he does, you know, he, he he keeps all the other mitzvot that he can. So why should it be that if you don't live in the land of Israel, like the rabbis say, it's as if you, you're an idolater. Why should that be? And the answer is the same answer about Shabbat. Because there's another Gemara at the very beginning of the Talmud in Brachot 5a that says that God gave three gifts to the Jewish people. And these three gifts he gave only through suffering. And they are Torah, Eretz Yisrael, and Olam Haba. Torah, Olam Haba is the last one, and the middle one is Eretz Yisrael. So we see that Eretz Yisrael, just like Shabbat, is also called a gift. So when we reject Eretz Yisrael, believe it or not, we're not saying, God, I love you, and I, you know, I'll keep everything else. I just, you know, have a hard time doing this one. It's it's basically saying to God, thanks, but no thanks for your gifts. I don't need your gifts. I don't want a relationship. I'll keep the mitzvot because, you know, I'm afraid because I don't want to get punished in the next world or for who knows a million other reasons. But the gifts that you give me, no thanks. I don't want that close of a relationship with you. And it really, really works especially well with the with the Eretz Yisrael idea because that's exactly what Eretz Yisrael is all about. It is the place that 
us, we, the Jewish people, and God can become intimate together. We can live intimately in the same place and 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 really build our relationship, make the relationship that much closer. So a Jew who says, I don't want the gift of Eretz Yisrael is in effect saying, I don't want the relationship at all. And that's why it's as if you're an idolater. It's as if you, you've not kept the entire Torah because you don't live in Eretz Yisrael. And especially in our days when it's not just a theoretical gift. It's not just, you know, when the rabbi said that, you know, okay, it was during the time of the of the uh, of the galut already. The Jews already were were exiled. There was no there was no temple, and nonetheless they said it's a gift. But especially now, when after two thousand years of exile, we were brought back. We were literally given the land of Israel as a gift, not just this theoretically nice nice thing called you know Eretz Israel in theory as a gift. It's actually a gift. We have the opportunity to accept the gift that God has given us in our day and age, the gift of returning to Eretz Israel. And those Jews who don't do so, I am I'm afraid to say, are not, they should really, really think about it really hard because they are not just rejecting one small aspect of the Jewish religion. They are rejecting a gift that God gave us and one of the most important mitzvot of the Torah. There are so many gifts that have been handed to us on a silver platter. I, I, maybe not on a silver platter because, of course, many much blood has been shed uh, of, our, of our dear soldiers and sacrificed for, for this land. It's exactly what I was going to speak about is the Temple Mount. It's been 54 years that we have been handed on, on, a, on a silver platter, pretty much on the Six-Day War, the Temple Mount that we united our capital, Jerusalem, and 54 years later, we, the Temple Mount is as empty and desolate as it was when we came in 1967. We came in, we said the Temple Mount is in our hands, and that was the last time it was in our hands. There are great rabbis, not Zionist rabbis. There are rabbis like Rev. Tukachinsky, who wrote amazingly. He passed away. He wasn't, uh, didn't merit to see the, re the redemption, the, the reclamation of the old city and the Temple Mount. But he realized that it's soon going to happen. I think he passed away in 1955. And he writes in his books that we have to start preparing. We have to start preparing by figuring out the midot, the different measurements of the mount and where the different uh, encampments are and where you're allowed to go, where you're not allowed to go, how we're going to rebuild it, how we're going to start rebringing re re sacrifices. This is something we have to do now. The Chavetz Chaim, even you mentioned before, who passed away in 1933, himself was a Kohen, and he also lamented of the fact that people are not studying the laws of Kodshim, the laws of, of, of temple service, because that's something even in Radin, even in Russia, he understood that this is something that needed to be done. And today we're here. We're here in the land of Israel. We're here with sovereign, theoretically sovereign over uh, our capital and over the Temple Mount, and we are completely oblivious to what's going on. I always tell people that people we've gotten to, we've hit a wall, so to say, when we get to the Western Wall, and we think that this is the ultimate climax of Jewish history that we've gotten to this retaining Western Wall, and not realizing that its importance, its significance, is the proximity to what is behind the wall. And if we don't understand that, we're just, we're just, we, we need to take more steps. We need to go a little bit further in order to get to really where the Jewish people are supposed to be. Then and only then will we will we be able to complete the process that we need to complete. And that 
starts off, and this could start off, I can, I have to say, anywhere you are. If you happen to even to be living in, in Borough Park, you could do this also. You need to start, just like Chavetz Chaim did in Radin, you need to start learning the laws. There's, I, I, it, it boggles my mind that people think that when the Messiah comes, Mashiach comes, he's going to hand us a thumb drive and we're going to stick it into our heads, and all of a sudden we're going to know all these laws, these thousands and thousands of laws that we were not aware of and not familiar with for thousands of years. We need to start practicing now. We need to know what to do now in order to take that next step, which can come any day. But of course, really, this, the first step that anyone that is in exile should take is to come home to Eretz Yisrael. We welcome you with our arms open, and we look forward to seeing you here. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips. With scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 